Are you cold? No. I have a blanket on me, and it's wonderful. That's weird. Welcome to the Crooked Table Podcast, where we discuss the world of film from a fresh angle. And now your host, Robert Yannis Jr. Welcome to the Crooked Table Podcast. This is Rob. On this show, we like to talk to fans and critics, basically bridging the gap between movie lovers from all walks of life and focus on the positive side of going to the movies. The whole point is to connect with this art on a personal level, to find the things we love about it. And there's so much divisiveness and negativity out there, especially on you know social media and all that stuff. That What I try to do with this show is focus on what we love about the movies by bringing on a different guest every episode and have them talk about a film of their choice, what it means to them, why they love it, and uh, just basically hash it out whether that film has uh, has whole held up over the years, if it's a classic from decades ago, or if it's a newer release that just resonates with them on an emotional level. So today we're joined by Kai Yanis, uh, my wife and frequent guest on this podcast, who's actually on the previous one, where it was really the more... I guess the last episode was kind of episode zero of this new format of the Crooked Table podcast, where it was really just me talking about a movie that I like, um, and she was more just my sounding board in the previous episode. But today we're going to be talking to Kai about a movie that she really loves. So, Kai, welcome back to the Crooked Table podcast. Hi, thanks for having me, Rob. It's always good to be back. Well, obviously, since we're married and we're you're you know you mean better than everyone, and uh, you know I am basically still kind of getting the feel for this new format. I wanted to make sure to have you as the first official guest uh, on this new version of the show. So, um, you know, let's, uh, as far as, normally this is the part of the podcast where we talk about how we know each other, but if people can listen to the previous episode, we've uh, been together several years, we've been married for a few, we have a, a child together, we have a little toddler, a uh, little young daughter, and everything. So I think we we kind of bypass that part. So tell me um, a little bit about, well, tell the people a little bit about yourself and what you have going on. Um, well, I, I work full time at a, um, like a, a money remitter and um, I do that, you know, 40 hours a week. And then on, um, and then on with my side projects, one of the things I work on is passive income. And I've been working on passive income for the last couple of years where I've now written two books. Um, the first book is called Credit Tips of a Money Guru. And that was published, um, self-published maybe two, three, uh, two, two years ago now. And then uh, most recently this year, I wrote my memoirs of my trip to China and Australia called Becoming Version 2.0 that, um, that you know just kind of talks about those experiences and my journey to getting to the now and both those books can be found on Amazon. And I also have a, um, a digital planner that I created that, um, that can be found through Etsy. That's more of like a career planner and, a, and, um, for motivational purposes. So just really passive income, always working on something. And, uh, since this is obviously a media format podcasting, you should t- tell people a little bit about you. You know, you have a YouTube channel, you have videos you do every week, um, tell people a little bit about that. How long have you been doing that and uh, what's kind of your goal there? Oh, um, well, I um, have a YouTube channel. Um, it's really just under Cayenne's and it started last fall and it was more a just a channel to have kind of have inf- inspirational snippets that I call 
chiasms. And what what spurred that is I know that me and you and a friend of ours was talking about how I would be really great at filming YouTube tirades of all the things that uh, piss me off uh, because I guess I'm really amusing and uh, have fun facial expressions. I don't know. Well, the more I, I thought I about vouch, it. I can vouch for that. <laughs> the more I thought about it and with our current our current climate, I really thought it was best just to, to put more positive things out there. And ultimately I have, a, I feel like a lot of inspirational things to say. So I created a YouTube video and for now it's just to just tell, hold myself accountable to, to do it every week and to put something good out there. And who knows what's going to happen? You know, it's been a year and um, so who knows? I mean, maybe I'll get worldwide fame someday or maybe I won't. All I know is I just got to, I just, I just, I do it for me and for the little people. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. The whole point, I mean, obviously with this podcast uh, is really a, a labor of love. And I think if you're going to do anything creative, whether it's a podcast or a video or, you know, writing, you know, a novel or whatever, it has to start from a personal place and whether you, whether it takes off and you end up making a lot of money from it, or it's just a hobby on the side. I think it's really important to get that personal satisfaction of it from it. And then uh, everything else is just kind of a bonus at that point. Exactly. Well, I went uh, about the YouTube channel. It's also a post on my be bold hyphen be brave.com website too. Cause um, just to give it more, more branding. And there's also affiliate sites on there as well. So sad that extra tidbit. Yeah, yeah. Is that is that B E bold or B just a letter B? Oh, it's uh, it's B E bold. Okay. B E bold hyphen B E brave dot com. So great. Yeah. So people that want to learn more about what you're all about can uh, can look that up. So today we're talking about a film that Kai chose. We actually, it's funny because. I knew you. I knew I wanted to have you be the first kind of official guest on the on this new version of the podcast, since you've done about a billion of these before with me. And uh, the we just didn't know what movie we wanted to talk about until during the recording of the previous episode. We were just like, ah, oh, we should just talk about that. So uh, let's just go ahead and listen to a little bit of the audio from this week's um, this week's selection, which is the 1995 film Clueless. So okay. Like right now, for example, the Hadians need to come to America. But some people are all, what about the strain on our resources? And it's like, when I had this garden party for my father's birthday, right? People came that like did not RSVP. So I was like totally bugging. I had to haul ass to the kitchen, squish in extra place settings, and like people were on mismatched chairs and all. But by the end of the day, it was like the more the merrier. And so if the government could just get to the kitchen, rearrange some things, we could certainly party with the Hadians. So Clueless uh, came out on July 19th, 1995, starts Alicia Silverstone as Cher Horowitz, I don't even think her name is actually said, her last name is said in the movie, um, who's just, you know, your average, <laughs> average according to the world of this movie, I guess. I'm going to stop you. Yeah. It actually was said in a movie. Oh, did they, did they say Horowitz in the movie? Like once, I think. Very, very obliquely, I think, yeah. So During um, her tardies scene. You know, this is, you've seen this movie way more than I have, so why don't you explain, you know, what, what is Clue, if, pretend I'm a person that has never heard of this movie, uh, what is Clueless all about? And I guess as coming from devil's advocate perspective, why should I care? So Clueless is a re a modern retelling of the story, Emma, uh, which was written by Jane Austen. Um, I haven't actually seen that movie or read the book, but that's actually what my mom told me. But um, so Cher Horowitz, she is, um, she's rich. 
she's beautiful, she's popular, and she also has a really good heart. And she plays matchmaker, and she also wants to do a makeover. And she just she wants to do good, but kind of doesn't have any clue on how to do it. Whoa. And yeah, yeah. And it's just, it's just a fun movie because it's satirical, but it's also sweet. It's a comedy. It's a romantic comedy. It's about friendship and it's, it stars. It was, it was starring new, new up and comers at the time, but now some of these people are household names. Um, Maybe you all would know and recognize the name Paul Rudd, who is our current Ant-Man. That's right. So that was, I think, his one of his first real um, roles. The funny thing is, I feel like you and I, like since we were, even since we were just early days of our relationship, just dating, I feel like we have watched, I feel like we've watched a lot of teen comedies just over the years. Um, and a lot of them that you actually introduced me to. So I guess we should sort of segue into kind of our personal histories with this movie. I should mention, uh, written and directed by Amy Heckerling, uh, who's done a bunch of other stuff, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, and uh, let's see, Look Who's Talking, The European Vacation, and uh, Vamps with Alicia Silverstone, which a few years ago, which we actually just watched a couple weeks ago for the first time. So, um, you know, what is your history with this movie? Like, when did you first see it? And... Um, you know, what, what kind of place does it have as far as, you know, for you personally and like the cinematic lexicon of, uh, you know, films that you, that, uh, you admire and, and such? Well, uh, my history with this movie is I have seen it in the movie theater. I saw it with my mom and my sister back, you know, when it came out and I wanted to see this movie so bad because the trailers made it look hilarious. And, you know, the trailer where she comes to, Cher comes down the stairs and her dad says, what the hell is that? She's like, a dress. He's like, says who? And she says, Calvin Klein. He's like, it looks like underwear. And it's like, it, and just, the, just the ridiculous terms of speech there. He's like, oh, I totally paused. So the trailer really did me in where I just, I wanted to see this movie. And I know, I think my sister agreed too when she saw it. So my mom just took us. I think we didn't have school that day. And uh, yeah, we went there and then we went and uh, went to Dairy Queen afterwards. Nice. Have Have you seen it a lot over the years, like since 1995? Since, since oh, theaters? Yeah. Um, I've seen it so much that I used to, I can't really do as much now. I haven't really tried, but I used to be able to quote the movie. Oh, wow. I, yeah, I've seen a lot. So it's, I don't know. It's just one of those movies I've just, I really enjoy every single time I see it. Great. Um, and I hadn't seen this. I mean, of course I was aware of it when it came out, but I was, you know, 12 year old boy. I'm like, ah, it looks like a, it looks like a dumb girl movie. You think when you're a, a stupid young boy, when you're a stupid kid. Uh, so I actually just kind of slipped under my radar. My parents just didn't introduce me to it for, you know, they weren't as into movies as I am now. And, um, you know, I didn't even see it until you introduced it to me. Was it 2011, 12? When was that? It must. It must Pretty have been. Early it was on, one I of think. those prerequisite movies that we that I showed you, and then you showed me yours. So that sounds a lot prerequisite movies. That sounds. Like <laughs> I sh- you showed me that, and I showed you yours. That sounds kind of dirty. I'll, I'll, I'll that was not it. intentional. I'll allow it. I'll allow it. Um, so yeah, so I hadn't seen this until early in our relationship. And I think I've seen it. I think we've seen it together maybe like three times or something. It's it's a good like we obviously you know we rewatched it 
um, about a week or so ago prior to this recording just because I wanted to have notes and make sure that I was like in the mindset and refreshed uh, my memory of the film. But it's, it is really like, it's a really good put on in the background in the living room, like while you're doing stuff on the computer, just because it does have that such a, a fun energy to it. Yeah. Well, I think we both, we both times recently, we put it on in the background both times. We, in, in air quotes, we, we in end the up background, watching, yeah. Both times we just end up watching it all focused and paying attention. So it's, um, but one thing I didn't mention about seeing the movie with my mom, my sister is my mom really enjoyed it too. My mom was laughing out loud at, at this movie. So it, it made a fan of her too, but I don't think she's seen it since then. Oh yeah, probably not. Uh, but it's also, to, it's also to me, I think as somebody who has spent most of his life on the outside of the, the clueless bubble, which now it's even, now it's, it's funny because now Mean Girls has the same kind of reverence that Clueless has as well, you know, as far as uh, oh, yeah. female-led uh, teen comedies. And I, I think that both of those movies, I don't know what it is about teen comedies. I think it's just movies like Porky's and things like that back in the, in the 80s that kind of gave that, uh, that genre sort of a, a bad name. Clueless kind of it kind of looks dumber than it is from the outside. You know what I mean? Like watching the trailers, you're like, oh, these superficial girls, like whatever. That's looks. And they dumb. talk like Valley Girls. Yeah, yeah. And so you're just getting little snippets of it. If you're not part of that target audience, you just think, okay, this is going to be a stupid like teen movie, like teen sex comedy or whatever. And it's totally not that. Uh, you know, and I I enjoyed it a lot when we first saw it, and every time we see it, I mean, I think I said something to you recently when we watched it. Just kind of like every time I see this, I appreciate the movie more, and you see more what it's going for, and you realize just how how clever Heckerling's script is, and uh, the way that she creates this sort of in a way in very in very many ways kind of idyllic Porsche, uh, look at high school life, where yeah, even the even the, like scrappy like you know ne'er do well kids are still kind of normal in a way. You know what I mean? Like uh, everything's just like shiny and sort of peppy and uh the only problems are just like melodramatic like this person doesn't like me that kind of thing yeah exactly did you did you were you thinking that before or did you think about that more when we saw the special features i think that kind of yeah, I that, about it. yeah i mean yeah, she, that helped to kind of put it in focus a little bit more but it it is it is very stylized i mean that's part of the appeal of it it's in the way that something like juno is very stylized and that's another kind of teen comedy sort of um where you know the the it kind of creates its own language and its own like distinct uh, distinctive look and a very like a very quirky sort of aesthetic, um, and I, and I think Clueless definitely has that going for it in in its favor ultimately. But I, it could be I could see how that could be off putting to people that haven't really given the film a chance. Be like oh they see the poster with like Alicia Silverstone like in the tight little dress and them on the phones and they're like what is this you know yeah exactly so. I guess we should just go into a full-on kind of review of the film. This is since this is a like twenty-plus-year-old movie. There, there is no, <laughs> there is no spoiler warning at this point. Uh, it's pretty much all for fair game. So, uh, you said to me that you know the soundtrack was really big for you growing up. I think you had it and then you like lost it or whatever, and then we recently got it for you like a couple years ago again. Um, so what is it about the soundtrack that, that you like so much? And the reason I'm, I'm starting with that is because, I mean, right from the beginning with Kids in America, it's kind of already setting the tone for the kind of movie that you're in store for. It was during that time where soundtracks were key to, to a film, uh, mostly, I guess, teen comedies. 
I mean, I mean, I'm sure there were other teen, uh, teen movies before it, but I feel like Clueless kind of really set it up with the soundtrack, and then she's all that had that had that song coming down the stairwell, and and it just yeah, I mean, the kids in America started it off, and I I like the song Supermodel, and and um, Roll with the Homies by Coolio was a, a big part of Clueless's film, and and. and it just yeah, they're just always there's always music playing. You know, they go to a, a, a fraternity party and they're playing Mighty Mighty Boston's, and it it just it's it's just part of the film. You know, it, it goes with the um, with the dynamic of the movie and the characters, and it's fun and um, it's pretty cool that I own it again. And I don't think I lost it. I think I actually gave it away for some reason. Oh, maybe nice. I broke it. I don't know. You wore it out from playing it so much, maybe. I I'm not sure. Like maybe it just got cracked. I don't know. Or maybe it's in my albums. My I have this um like I have this CD case, these two two big CD cases, and I don't haven't looked at them in a long time because I don't listen to CDs really anymore. Right. But maybe it's in Nobody there. Does. <laughs> Nobody does except me. Uh, yeah, um, you can tell we're. Or people of a certain age, which is that we have like, oh, we have all these things of these books of CDs. I have like book, giant booklets of CDRs with soundtracks and a bunch of like a bunch of different albums. So, do you think that with the soundtrack and the, the like, the way they talk and the fashion, do you think that the fact that this movie is like so '90s, do you think that is, um, do you think that's a, a a benefit, or do you think that kind of is a holds the film back because it's sort of very dated in a way, but in a way that makes it feel like a time capsule rather than something that's sort of obsolete. You know what I mean? Like it makes it. it yeah, somehow, I was going to say that. It somehow makes yeah. the story feel more timeless in a way. Like it, I guess, I guess what I'm trying to say is it feels like a movie set in the nineties that was made like in 2015. You know what I mean? It's just weird. If that makes any sense. Yeah. I was even going to say it, it does feel like a, a time capsule and one thing that we didn't mention is that this this movie was even satired in Iggy Azalea's fancy video, which I think to the kids now they actually thought that that was a a made up video that it wasn't actually parodied from the Clueless movie. So that once again shows our age. But oh um, god, that makes me. Well, I have to mention before we, we hold that thought. Remember on uh, I think it was Lip Sync Battle, Alicia Silverstone did this song dressed back in her outfit oh, from yeah. the movie. Oh yeah, she's yeah, uh, yeah. That's that so great. meta. That was great. Yeah, um, I think though. I mean, with at least with Cher, Dion, and Ty, I don't think anybody in the '90s, any girls in the '90s, actually dressed like that with Denise. Like I thought that I thought I could do that. Like I wanted to dress like Clueless. This is how much this movie. I loved this movie. That in freshman year of high school, I'm about to start freshman year of high school, I bought white knee socks i had like wedge like weird wedge heels that were kind of small because i was only still only 14 and i don't even remember but like i was trying to dress like that but in all in all reality i think even my friend said this she's like kind nobody actually dresses like this <laughs> so yeah so um the ladies at least Good. did not yeah. the ladies at least did not dress nobody dressed like that and then um the guys i think the guys could have gotten away with it even now and then when it comes to like the guy, you know, the guys with the with the pants around their their waist, well, okay, that really did happen. Guys really were dressing that way. So, but um, I I, I don't know. I think it just I it it works. You know, it's similar. It's similar to Friends too. I mean, Friends is dated, but it's also its own like time capsule, and it's you know, it's still 
still relevant. To be fair, I feel like this movie, because it is, because it, it rides the, the 90s, what feels like 90s nostalgia, even though it came out in 95 in a way, uh, because it rides that so hard, I feel like this movie has aged better than Friends has, personally. Um, but, you know, that's coming from a How I Met Your Mother fan, not really so much with Friends. Uh, and it's interesting that you mentioned the thing about how this film influenced your fashion, because we last episode we talked about Ace Ventura, and then I was, like, wearing, like, the crazy pattern shirts open like that, trying to, thinking that that was the way, that, the cool way to dress based on uh, Jim Carrey's performance in that film. Um, but it, it really, it, go ahead. <laughs> it's really something to be impressionable, isn't well, it? Well, like... I mean, I was 11 when... Ace Ventura came out and you were 12 we were we were 12 when this came out so you know it's yeah that's the age when you're like huh maybe that maybe that character's cool for a reason maybe I could try and be well, like that person well did you notice I said 14 freshman year so yeah there you was were like, obsessed with us for a while well it was well it was um I think it really the kind of the obsession started when it went on cassette on uh video mm -hmm. VHS <laughs> back in the VHS we're, we're, old, we're old people yeah, and um, I was going to, I was going on a road trip with a friend of mine from school and her family, and I brought Clueless with me because it was my, you know, my movie, and I think it had just come out on VHS, and we, me and her, me and the family like watched this movie constantly, um, while while we were on this trip, so it went started for me while just watching the movie theater to now watching over and over and over again on VHS to where when I went to started school freshman year. I was even, I had already, you know, watched it when I was, it was, oh, it was 13 going up 14. That's right. It was my, about to be four. I was about to be uh, 14. And I, that's when I could go to school and actually quote the movie. So yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what happened from 12 to 13 or whatever. But regardless, you, you were a teenage girl wishing you had the little computer program where you can like match up your outfits. Like, uh, like she has in the beginning there. Oh yeah, definitely. So definitely. I, I, go ahead. What were you going to say? Well, I just think that um, we were talking about, what we were talking about earlier about the, the the movie feeling dated, if it did or not. The other thing is just the coolest is about friendship and relationships and you know feeling clueless and who can't relate to that, no matter what generation you're in, what no matter what decade. I mean, we can all relate to that, especially as teenagers. So, how much of that? How much of the, so I guess we can get to this right, uh, right off the bat, how much of that, what you just described as far as like the teenage girl perspective being about like kind of really positive and not some, not really catty and just very compassionate and stuff. How much of that do you think stems from the fact that this is a woman directed film and written, that this movie was written and directed by a woman? I, I think about it from two different perspectives. You know, you mentioned Mean Girls earlier and that was pretty much written for the screen by Tina Fey. And then you have Coolest was written for the screen by Amy Heckerling. And they're both true. I mean, I, you know, in high school, I, you know, I, I knew females that were very compassionate and, but, you know, still popular and, and wanted to do good by people. But I also knew the mean girls and they were both, they actually both ran in the same clique. And I've noticed that sometimes the most popular, the most popular girls are actually the kind ones, the ones that are nice to every, good and kind to everybody, yeah. not just their friends. And, and the rest of them, the main ones are the followers. And even even in Mean Girls, even Regina, she was nice, but to your face, I guess. Until she, until she she was writing in her burn book. 
but that's another movie entirely. <laughs> right. Um, I, th- I think I also think me girls. Well, Go ahead. Were you gonna well, say? Oh, can I? Add? Yeah, let me add yeah, yeah, and let me finish my point. So, um, so Tina Fey and Amy Heckerling, I think in a way they do have, kind of have you know similar sensibilities. But with Amy Heckerling, maybe she wanted to be in a place of um, one. I think she was writing from her own her own heart, her own personality, but also maybe just wanting to be a good role model. You know, because she was not, she's not just a female, she's a, she was a mature female to the rest of the, the ladies on the cast. And maybe she just wanted to kind of put herself out there as the movie being a good, a good role model for young girls out there to be like, you know, not to, to be mean, but to be nice and um, good people. And, but on the same token, though, even Cher had mean girl moments that she would kind of, you know, hide some of that, some of that meanness. Both movies deal with, I think both movies have satirical elements to them. I think Mean Girls is obviously supposed to be more of a satire, but like, you know, girl world, how it would be solved in the animal world, that whole thing. And in this movie, I think they're both focusing on like popular girls, but in the case of Cher, she's, she has like this, um, she's a valley girl, but she's actually, like surprisingly kind of smart in a way that makes me feel like this movie was directly responsible for something like legally blonde. Like, I don't feel like that movie would have happened unless this movie connected with that was 2001. So, you know, this had already made its impact and everything got spun off into a TV show and all that. Um, but she's also, you know, she's kind of precocious in a way, but also naive. Like, I think that's the whole point of the title is that she's well-intentioned, but she doesn't really understand how the world works exactly. You know, um, trying to find her way in, in that awkward adolescent stage between a girl and a woman. And I think that's that's probably the part of the character that, that Silverstone captures really well, kind of being in, in that position herself at that point in her early in her career, you know? I agree with you, but what part specifically you saying that she came off smart? Just like the way she the way she carries herself, the way she like she understands certain things that she explains in class, but she explains it like not really understanding how to pronounce Hadians or Haitians mm-hmm. and uh, using her own examples that sort of make sense if you think about it from her perspective. Again, like I said, watching it this time, I was really kind of very struck me how, how very much uh, Cher reminded me of, of Elle Woods in that she under, she she solves the in that movie Elwood solves the case because of you know what is it like perm maintenance or something and and that's how she knows oh this person couldn't have been the killer because of this or whatever you remember and yeah. mm-hmm. and i feel like in this movie she, she, she's she's not dumb she just she's she's sharp and she's you know clearly very in tune with what's important to her at this age and what's in the world that she lives, even though she doesn't understand like really anything outside of the high school bubble that she's in, which is the whole interaction with Josh and how that kind of helps her mature and grow throughout the course of the film. But she, she, um, so she lacks the knowledge, but she definitely has the capability like for early on, you can tell that she negotiates her, she negotiates her way up to her grades and, and kind of oh, yeah, her course. father that way. Like she's very strategic and forward thinking about the things that, affect her but she doesn't understand how to look outward or you know see that oh maybe ty likes you know the stoner kid that she that Cher just brushes up because that's the way she sees the world she doesn't understand that there's 
other perspectives other than her own and, and she has to kind of get taken down a peg, I guess, to kind of be humble to realize that she doesn't have all the answers. Oh, that was beautiful. Thank you. I don't very know. well, very Wax, well said. Waxing poetic on Clueless. You know, cliff notes. So, um, you know, and I think because of that, Silverstone really captures a lot of that uh, complexity in, in what is ultimately kind of a, at times, pretty nuanced uh, comedic performance. Yeah, you can, you can, you know, with Alicia Silverstone's performance, you can see the innocence with her and that she, you know, that's, it's, I think a lot of people know this by now. It's one of the main trivias, but, you know, Alicia Silverstone really did think it was pronounced Hadians. And Amy Heckerling thought it was adorable and it kind of showed that that personality, that naiveness of, of Cher. So they left it in. Right. Instead of changing pronunciation to Haitians. Yeah. And I, going back to, uh, going back to Heckerling's direction for a second, like you can really tell that she has a vision for what she wants this movie to be. And, and, you know, along the way, like you can tell, like she, she actually weaves in, references to classic films she has the like 2001 like homage with the music with the the, the cordless phone dun, 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 dun. and then there's actually uh the ref for the scene by the fountain when the the water comes off with the lights and everything that's actually a reference to uh, the film Gigi. and then there's a psycho reference i think remember i pointed out that i think it's a psycho reference with the um the drain kind of the hair dye ties hair dye going down the drain the red hair dye yeah there's I didn't even of, think about that until you, you could, said that. You could tell she's a real cinephile, bringing her love of film and kind of putting everything she has into the story. And and I think not only with Silverstone, I mean, obviously she's leading the film, but also like every every supporting player across the board, I feel like it's a really strong uh, supporting cast. You know, who who in the support... I mean, we'll get to the whole Paul Rudd thing in a second. So I guess aside from him, who in the supporting <laughs> cast really made an impact on you uh, when you saw it the first time and kind of over the years? Um, I'd say Stacey Dash who played Dion. I'm, I really liked her acting and I was amazed that I think she was 27 when she was in this role. And I mean, she still looks, she still looks beautiful today and it looks like she's barely aged, but she actually made me want to, to watch, watch the, um, TV show, even though Elise Silverstone would clearly not be on it, uh, or Brittany Murphy, but, um, she made me want to watch it cause I liked Dion enough to, you know, want to see more of that character at least and kind of see what they did with, uh, with the TV spinoff. I think, um, and I like, and I like Breckenmeyer too. He's who played Travis, like Breckenmeyer is so cute. Like every movie role that he's in, he's just, he's adorable. So that's when I first became familiar with Breckenmeyer and, and casually followed his career since then. I, well, that's a robot chicken. You're not a fan of that, but that's kind of when he's, he's very, uh, I am instrumental in that show. Um, That's why I said casually. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Um, I like. I really like. My favorite moment of his is the uh, the whole like acceptance speech for the tardies. It's like it took a lot of people to get me to be the tardy or that whole thing. Like, what is it? The most tardies I think in everyone in the class or something like that. Yeah, that, uh-huh. was, that was great. I like. I like that scene a lot. He's really funny and then also really sweet with a lot of the stuff with Ty and the way he sort of. Uh, you know, rejected or or ignored uh, throughout a lot of that, I think is really cool. Um, also, another thing I wanted to mention is that it, because the, sh- this, the film is sort of very much, as I said, sh- told from Cher's per- perspective, from the teen perspective, like a lot of the parents and the teachers, 
they seem like they're like grumpy or like sticks in the mud. But really, they're actually like in the movie, if you take a step back watching it as adults, as parents now, I'm like, wow, this like good father. He's like really on top of trying to take care of his daughter. And like, these are really good teachers. They're like really invested in their in their students' lives. And yeah, they're like, they have some snarky little remarks because it's a comedy and it's written for, you know, as entertainment. But like, they're like, you know what I mean? Like you, you get, you take for granted, like you watch some movies and the adults are like so over the top that it's just ridiculous. You're like, nobody acts this way. Nobody talks that way to their, their students or their kids. Like, who are these people? What world are these people living in? Uh, so the film is very stylized and with the music and the colors and the outfits and all that. But like, I feel like the, uh, the relationships, whether it's Cher and her dad or Cher and her teachers and the whole like matchmaking thing with Wallace Shawn and Twink Kaplan, I think, uh, it, it all feels really grounded and believable in that way. And I think the, the, it's up to the parents to be like the straight men and women to make this world feel real so that the teens can sort of run amok and be silly and, and, you know, deal with their shenanigans, I guess. Yeah. No, I'm glad you brought up the dad because I remember when we watched it most recently, I'm just like, Oh my God, he's such a good father. You know, like I love the, I love that conversation that, um, her dad and Cher had in his, in his office when he's, you know, she's talking about the boy that she likes and he's, he's like, I don't know if I want you to be such a stupid fellow like that. If he doesn't, can't, you know, see that you're the most beautiful girl in Beverly Hills. And just, you know, he, he was, a, he's a very, hardworking attorney with even a team um, under him, but he still manages to make time for those heart to heart talks with his daughter. And that's, that's really sweet. And yeah. and I think that that really helped her become a more well-rounded person and a, a kind person because I'm very self-confident the, and like, yeah, that is, yeah, it's great. Yeah. I like, I love Dan Hedaya and uh, he's been in like a million movies that I've seen. I think the first thing I saw him was in the Adams family where he plays like their slimy lawyer who's kind of, double dealing behind the scenes and all kinds of stuff, trying to get their fortune. Um, but yeah, he's a great character actor and he's still really busy, I think today too. So good for him. Um, and they, and then one of the special features when we watched it, I think he said something like this was one of his favorite film, one of the favorite, his favorite films that he got to work on. It was like such a great experience. And I, yeah, and I wanted to say that too. Yeah. would like, I'm glad you mentioned that because that was, I was even thinking about that with his role that he seemed so heartfelt and genuine when he was talking to special features about how much, how much role meant to him and so sweet. So. Yeah, you get the vibe that everybody like that was in this film kind of had a had an inkling that it was kind of something special. Like whether it was the cast or the crew, or obviously Heckerling herself, who was it was really her you know passion project. I think that, and I think that that comes across just that that kind of joyous feeling of like uh, positive vibes and to just like fun and lightheartedness uh, that 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 you get when you watch the film. Um, so before we move on from the cast, and we're going to get into the whole Josh thing in a minute, uh, we should also mention Brittany Murphy, R.I.P., who's really sweet and really kind of endearing in this movie, but also kind of she's kind of bitchy at moments. She's got like an attitude where she's like, you're just a virgin who can't drive. <laughs> and, oh then God, she, like, does that, and she does that eyebrow raise that really sells that line. We're like, geez, Cher's created a monster. I think Cher even says that at one point. No, I feel like she blamed, did she blame it on herself, actually? She called herself the monster, I believe. Oh, I, I thought she was talking about Or Ty. maybe, yeah, she probably, oh, yeah, maybe she was. Okay, I thought, for some reason, I thought she was talking about herself, like, that she was a monster because she was saying that, like, that she was mean to, she was mean to Lucy and that Josh was mad at her and and that she made Ty act that way to her. So I thought she was saying she was a monster. 
Oh. Yeah, I don't. Um, I didn't see it that way. Everybody gets a different perspective. Exactly. Though, so. Well, that's why with the world of film from a fresh angle. That's the whole point. Um, and we should mention how kind of woke Cher is. That when that what's it Elton is like kind of not a, not even coming on to her, just like straight up like the thing with uh, what is suck and blow, and then in the car like that's straight up like sexual. She even says sexually harassed, but it's kind of almost sexual assault in a way at the party and in the car and stuff. And I think oh the, yeah for sure the movie really uh, you know she really stands up for herself. Whereas you watch like a lot of, I mean, I think the only things in this film that don't really, that kind of don't age well are some of the things with um, Christian and some of the, some of the like homophobic comments that, uh, Oh my God, I'm drawing blanking on his name. Donald Faison. What's uh, what's his character's name? I need to, I forget now. Oh, Murray. Thank you. Murray. Where he's like, Oh, Murray, um, Christian, he's a, he's a, uh, a cake boy, a friend of Dorothy, that whole thing. That's a little bit insensitive, but it, you know, from a cutting from a teenager in the nineties, you're like, all right, whatever. So, so for the most part, the, like the like social politics of this movie are actually pretty solid, which is again, in contrast with Ace Ventura, where that entire third act is like super transphobic and, and all kinds of like all kinds of offensive to the point of like, yeah, this would never happen now. Clueless actually feels like something that could be would have been made now about the nineties, as I mentioned. Well, the thing though about that scene with Murray is that Cher never said anything like that. Right. That's true. About about him. And they really I think they did I think the film did a really respectable job of conveying Christian as a, a gay man, you know, that didn't, he wasn't really very flamboyant. He did, you know, he did dress well and stuff, but that doesn't necessarily mean anything. And, you know, and well, he had like, I, a crush think, on I think Tony Curtis when they're watching Spartacus, it's like little stupid things, but nothing that was like where you're, where they're like, yeah, where it's just super over the top, like the nineties parody of a, of a gay man. Yeah. And Cher was more than happy to keep being his friend and hanging, hanging out with him and just was realized, okay, well, one of his, one of the reasons I like hanging out with him is he likes to shop just like me. So we'll, we'll go shopping and we're still friends and, you know, and now it's definitely platonic. And I think that, and even Dion, Dion never said anything disrespectful. Ty was eternally, eternally grateful to Christian for saving her life at the mall. Yeah, and that's crazy. So yes, yeah, so, so I think, moment. so it's possible that maybe the Murray character with what he said, maybe that was, a, maybe that was intentionally supposed to come off as homophobic yeah the movie because isn't, i think yeah i think you might be onto something go ahead yeah i think that maybe that was just that character because he wasn't he wasn't comfortable with it but the but the movie itself seemed everyone else seemed yeah. completely fine with and he, it and not he, disrespectful he also spends a lot of the movie calling uh dion woman which she doesn't like because that's sort of misogynistic so i guess yeah i, I think you have a i think you have a good point it's not like the movie the movie's moral compass is coming more from Cher not from the side character who's already been shown to be kind of ridiculous and out of touch with, uh, you know, with reality and kind of is in his own ball of prejudices and such. So I think that's, I think that's a good call. All right. You've, you've, Thank you. you've, you've, uh, you've adjudicated this, this, uh, issue. So for, um, for clueless. So I guess it's in the clear now. Awesome. So, so I think we need to go into the elephant in the film, which would be the whole thing with Josh and Cher. Now, it's basically what I'd like to call the stepbrother romance. So on what, on, on what, on the, whatever scale you want to choose, how weird is that? And 
how do you think the film executes it without making it feel gross by the end when they do end up together because it's this big romantic moment it's literally like they end up together and then it's the kind of denouement in the end of the movie yeah it is weird like when you if you weren't to watch the movie in its entirety and you just know about that and maybe this is the reason some people have even watched this movie is because of that it is weird you know um but they're not but the thing is they're not currently step siblings anymore. They didn't really grow up together. I think the, the, they even say, being in the movie, that the parents were only married for a short period of time. And she's now, the mom's already remarried. And I think, I just think the way they, I think the way it was executed actually is more sweet than creepy. You know, I think that um, Josh helped mature, share a lot, as you said. And I don't think he even realized he liked her until what is that thing that she came down in her Calvin Klein underwear dress Yeah, and, so. and spent more time with her, probably spending more time with her than he even really did when they were, when the, their parents were married. Mm-hmm. So no, I think that's right. And, yeah. and to your point about, and uh, I think you mentioned the, the fact that they didn't grow up together when we were watching it. The, the first thing that popped in my head is I'm a big fan of the flash on CW and those two, Barry and Iris, they did grow up together in the same house after his, his uh, mom was murdered and his dad was arrested for it wrongfully. Uh, Joe West took took Barry in from the age of like, I don't know, 10 on. So they b- went through puberty living in the same house and then grew up and then got married and everything. So I think actually in a way that's kind of weirder. Um, they grew up seeing each other sort of brother and sister in a way, but he always kind of had a crush on her like from before that he was even adopted by Joe. So, and, and this movie does a lot of watching it knowing that that's where it's going and having seen it a few times the movie does a lot of work to smooth that out so by the end you're like oh they're happy together not like i feel feel unresolved about this um like you said it does they do mention that um Cher's dad was married to josh's mom for probably very briefly a couple few months or something and then they never they, they didn't they knew each other but they didn't like have any kind of sibling relationship um there's also a lot of other than contentious it's well yeah other than that i guess and there's a lot of moments in the movie where you can sort of see josh kind of noticing that there's more to her you know what i mean like you said i mean like you mentioned the one with the dress but there's like little things where she's talking to ty and i think i think to ty right trying to make her help her uh, help her out or make her a better person whatever and josh is kind of like in the doorway kind of like rolling his eyes like oh geez she's she's so weird and funny but like also being kind of endeared to her and seeing that she's trying to you know to grow up a little bit um and i think paul rudd's acting and his performance here are really understated considering you know that comedy really became kind of his focus after this yeah so i guess in the beginning i guess probably from halfway you know since act two we probably i guess we'd say that josh was into share or like and... seeing her in a different way at least yeah yeah, um, but I but Paul Rudd and his eyes, such be- he has such beautiful warm eyes, and y- you, I feel like this movie endeared everyone to Paul Rudd, and you know so I'm for a long time I was wondering what Paul Rudd was doing because I hadn't seen him in anything, and so when he came up showed up in I Love or in Forty Year Old Version I'm like oh my God Paul Rudd 
I mean, I'm sure he was in other things. He was in Friends and but, stuff like that. But like, yeah, movie. Oh yeah, that's right. I didn't really. Oh yeah. Movie wise, right. I don't think he was in anything that was like super mainstream. He was probably doing like smaller movies and things like that. I think it was probably Anchorman that really, because I'm not looking at his IMDb to make sure I know. Oh yeah, name. that's right, Anchorman. He did like What Hot American Summer in 2001, which that's more of a cult film that didn't really make a lot of box office money and he was like oh the object of my affection and like a couple other smaller 200 cigarettes cider house rules but those are like smaller roles i think yeah really anchorman was like the first one that like brought him back like hey that guy and then 40 old virgin and then before you know it he's like leading i love you man and things like that um he's had an interesting career and i think yeah i agree with you he he makes a really positive first impression in this film um and i don't know yeah he's just really fun and, and charming and kind of uh, funny in a way that feels like you know obviously his lines are scripted but like even when he's playing Ant-Man he you could it feels like very naturalistic his comedic style exactly like he I think and he's figured out what he like that what type of acting he's best at I mean I don't even know has he been in any type of dramas I mean I'm sure he has here and there but like you know I just said this, he was in Cider House Rules but I, I don't I don't recall him in that so I don't know what kind of how big a role he even has in there do you think that Cher's dad knows what's going on? Because do you think she can he can see that there's an attraction there? Because there's a part where she's like, um, the, after the Calvin the underwear dress that you that you were saying, uh, he's like, you're not gonna let her dress like that, are you? And then he's like, oh, go to this. He's like, I, sh I should go to that party. Should I go to the party? Do we need you? Don't need me here, right? And he's like, yeah, go ahead. And then after Josh takes off, he kind of does like this kind of smirky thing, like, oh man, there's something going on with the two of them, isn't it? You know what I mean? Do you think, do yeah. you think he knows mm -hmm. about it? Do you think he's cool with it? I think he does know about it, and I think he is cool with it because he loves Josh. I mean, why would he – you know, him and the, his Josh's mom aren't together anymore, but he still wants to help Josh out. And um, Well, also there was that line when um, it was after uh, when Cher was try, you know, trying to do the Pismo Beach disaster relief, and he says to Josh – she was giving them her skis, and he says – this, is this all you're doing, Josh? And he just, Josh kind of was like, oh. So that to me also sounds like he knew that that was the boy, the guy that Cher was talking about in his office. Mm -hmm. When he was saying, one of the do-gooder type. I don't know. I mean, what do you think? I, I think he does. I think he has an inkling about what's going on. And I think, yeah, I think, I think you're right. But it's interesting. Like I said, the movie does a lot of work to earn that moment at the end. Uh, is it the last scene during, see, I wrote down the quote, but I don't remember if that was the very end of the movie where he, they're talking and she's like, she shook straight up says, Josh, you are not my brother. Is that the end of the movie? Is that the final scene or does that happen a little earlier? I don't remember exactly what the context is for that, uh, for that line, but the movie straight up like says, Hey, they're, they're not brother or sister. Or you almost imagine Heckerling kind of popping out in the corner. You're like, everybody got that? Like dark helmet style. They're not What's brother or sister. Time? Was it during the scene where he was talking about spring break and how she was telling him to, to just stay at their house? And oh, he's like, oh, yeah. you don't want some type of brother type tagging exactly. along. Exactly. Like, That's exactly right. not my brother. That's exactly right. Yeah. See, I didn't think it was the last scene because at that point she's already had her little her little uh, epiphany walk. Like basically, which I love, by the way, I love the voiceover in this movie and I love like uh, the way she describes things and that part where she's walking around and she's playing things in her head and she's like, why am I all upset or stressing? Why am I stressing about this? It's like, wait a minute. I like, I love Josh. That whole thing. I love the whole, the way that that all plays out. I think that's so much fun. Yeah. She's shopped all day. 
And every, it was daytime. <laughs> she comes back true. and it's nighttime. Well, that's how that's her therapy. Um, but it's also like a lot of things. And I thought they, I thought when she said the line about, um, cause she says to Ty things about like, um, you know, oh, you just want to look, find, find a way to make, when you like somebody, when the guy likes you, he finds looks for excuses to make physical contact and things like that. Um, I thought they like cut back to, cause there's a scene where he's like, kind of like tickles her on the side or whatever, like playfully, like brother, sister, like messing with her type of thing. And it all, and then like everything that she says about guys seems to be true, but she's totally blind to the fact that Josh feels that way about her. Cause I think Josh, you mean clueless? Yeah, exactly. And there's a real parallel between, I guess I wrote between Ty and Cher parallel because they're both kind of clueless and in finding themselves in a new context. But also, I mean, I guess you could extend that to Josh in a little in a different way because he's like a college guy and he's growing a little goatee and he's like trying to figure out himself in a way. And so he, she kind of needs to like fun him up a little bit and uh, he kind of needs to ground her. So they kind of meet in the middle a little bit. He's fully in the adult world and she's kind of more of a kid. And so they kind of find a balance between the two by the end. I think it's really, which is really interesting. Yeah. Well, even in the trivia, I believe it said this, that as the movie goes on and um, Cher realizes her feelings for Josh, her wardrobe changes too. Oh yeah. She's no longer, she's dressing more mature and no longer dressing in those I think she even said skimpy little outfits. <laughs> well, she starts she starts watching the news and taking an interest in things too. Be like, I care about stuff. Well, it was, it was the, in the trivia, the IMDb trivia that I like to read after every single movie. She does. Um, I think it even even saying it was more symbolism mm-hmm. that with her as her feelings towards with relationships matured for towards Josh, so does her clothing and her behavior. So it was more of a symbolism instead of just outright her. Yeah, I guess what you're—I guess you're saying the same thing. Yeah, I'm, yeah, we are. We're just saying this, they're extensions of the same point, and that's the kind of de- those are the kind of details you get when you have a writer director, I think, at the helm because she she clearly writes with that arc in place and then kind of makes the decisions on on the set and during pre production and stuff to to support that to kind of fully get her 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 thesis across on the film and have uh, have it like you know, um, breathe, breathe life in the material in a, in a different way and making that, making the character arcs feel more organic and such just with like, like you said, subtle, uh, subtle decisions like the, the, the wardrobe and things like that. So, um, I don't really have that many more things to mention. I think we kind of delved into a lot of it. Um, I did want to point out though, I would be remiss if I didn't mention the freeway scene. Which is is mm. really is really great and probably one of the the biggest laugh moments I think in the movie. Yes. What did you want to say about it? I just wanted to mention it and say how great it was and make sure that I pointed that out as as probably one of the the comedy high points. And uh, you know, going back to the special features, there's um, there's a one there's one there where they were talking about like how a lot of those reactions were actual actually real because they, they didn't know that like a truck was going to come behind them at that specific moment and things like that. Um, and you know, being, you know, being someone who has relatives from New York and that area where you don't really drive a lot driving to, to certain people, if you don't drive a lot, 
the freeway, the interstate, whatever you want to call it, can be terrifying like that. So I think that that movie kind of the movie kind of captures that in a really in a really hilarious way. Everybody's reactions and their interplay with each other and the way the camera's kind of in the car with them from different angles. I thought that was all uh, really well realized and uh, and yeah, I, I think it it does. It's probably the funniest actual moment in the movie. If not not necessarily the best, but definitely the funniest. Yeah, yeah, it was definitely yeah. There were genuine reactions from the actors and um i don't know i was thinking about the dion and murray and just how much dion is screaming while she's driving and and like so freaked out and and then they had they ended up having sex for the first time after that whole event happened because it's traumatic yeah yeah and um getting through that getting through a traumatic event like that together definitely bound them as a couple but yeah it was it was funny. Yeah, it was great. So do you have any uh, final thoughts on the film? Like, do you do you love it more now than you did when you first saw it? I mean, you know, with the benefit of time and and uh, wisdom, I guess, if we get wisdom in our, in our 30s, I'm still on the fence about that. I think I enjoy it in a different way. Um, back when I first saw it, you know, I was 13 years old. And I don't know, it really resonated with me at the time because I I you know, wanted to be that. I wanted to be a rich teenage girl living in California. And this was actually right around the same time that I wanted to be an actress as well. So, you know, these people were in this, in the state that I wanted to be in, to be, to be a famous actress. And, and, um, it's just, it was just Lisa Silverstone back then, you know, she was, had just come off those Aerosmith videos and Brittany Murphy, no one had ever really seen her before and Stacey Dash and all that. And, and, you know, 20, 20 something years later, Brittany Murphy sadly has passed on. At least Silverstone's career is not what it was. I don't even know what she's up to these days, honestly. A lot of like vegan, natural stuff, from what I know. And she's still, um, she's still acting, she still has credits. Oh, okay. The Killing of a Sacred Deer, I've heard of that. And I mean, I have, I, you know, that's like a, she had a TV like show, right? Fo- I guess she's had she's hasn't really been able to have something stick. She's on a she has a show called American Woman, but I, I've heard of that, but I'm not I'm not from I've never seen it, so I I don't know how well it's doing. But she's in stuff. She's in she was in book club earlier this year, I guess. Okay, so she's around. That's good. Uh, I think it's hard for actresses to be to, that ingenue thing uh, has a unfortunately a kind of like ticking time uh, ticking clock to it. And I think you know just two years later playing Batgirl and one of the worst superhero movies ever made. I don't think, I think that kind of effectively killed her burgeoning stardom uh, in a big way. Yeah, unfortunately. And then you have, and Stacey Dash has, you know, gotten a lot of press lately for being, being part of the Republican, yeah, Republican party and the things that she says with them. And um, yeah, I don't really know. I don't really think a lot of them do anything anymore, except Paul Rudd, Paul who Rudd, yeah. surprisingly, he came from the, he ended up having being a, kind of like a nobody, and now he's a Marvel superhero. Yeah. Well, spoilers for Ant Man and the Wasp. He's lost in the quantum realm. Somebody needs to get his ass out there. Well, a trivia bit that I actually added to IMDb is um, Clueless. Uh, um, Ant Man actually came out the same day as Clueless. Um, Twenty years later. Yeah. 20 years right around. So that is my trivia so tidbit that I added. And Amy Heckerling has done stuff, but again, not much. Not like to the same impact as, as Clueless, obviously. Well, Fast Times at Ridgemont High was a big deal right? during its time. I mean, I don't like that movie, but it was it was huge. 
when it came out in 1982. I think she was, what, what the writer? Or she was actually the director? I think we talked about the third paper. I forgot. Uh, she was the director. Okay, and Cameron Crowe was the writer. I believe so, yes. Well, maybe that's why the music doesn't, or the movie doesn't have the same magic as Clueless, in my opinion. In your opinion, Because yeah. Amy, Heckerling, Amy Heckerling only directed it. She didn't also write it, too. So it wasn't, it wasn't her, it wasn't her words and, on uh, paper. And she worked with Paul Rudd again in I, I Could Never Be Your Woman, 2007, which is like a romantic comedy deal with uh, Michelle Pfeiffer. And then Alicia Silverstone again in Vamps, which we just watched from 2012, which also has Wallace Shawn in it. So it's kind of a mini Clueless reunion in a way. That's the other reason that we were talking about, that we talked about doing this. They're apparently doing a, want to do a Clueless remake or a reboot or whatever the hell they want to call it now. Remember, I mentioned that news to you not long ago. Yeah. It's wait, so wait. Would it be a reboot with new people? They're calling, or then try to bring some of the people back. I mean, they're calling it a remake, so I think they're just going to pretend that this never happened and start over, which I think is good a, luck. I think is a mistake. Now, if, if Hollywood wants to push a, a pile of money over to Amy Heckerling's house and be like, "Hey, can you do this?" But for like for kids now, not for kids in the '90s, that I would actually watch. Um, so definitely see Clueless while it's, while you can before they remake it, and then that'll be your first impression of this of this brand. So can you tell the people where they can find you online and find out uh, you know social media and that kind of thing? Oh uh, yeah, my um, you can follow follow me on Twitter at the Volkey LLC. And you can also find me on my website uh, be bolt hyphen brave dot com uh, where you can see my YouTube videos and my affiliate sites. And where you actually can get a link to buy my planner. Well, thanks so much again, Kai. And uh, I'll see you in the other room since uh, we live in the same house. (laughs) Okay, sounds good. (laughs) All right. Talk to you in a second. Bye. If you're interested in joining me on the show to chat about one of your favorite films, head on over to crookedtable.com slash guest. Or you can consider supporting the show at patreon.com slash crookedtable. Of course, you can always find more podcasts, reviews, videos, and other movie-related goodies over at crookedtable.com. Until next time, this has been the Crooked Table Podcast, and I've been Rob. This has been a production of CrookedTable.com. All rights reserved. That's the yard of the little KED.